The Antichrist comes from the Sea of Nations. He represents all the Gentile nations of the world. And so we kind of see that. We kind of see that. And then we have the false prophet that comes along. He's kind of like, it's kind of like the spiritual leader aspect of the beast, right? So this false prophet comes on the scene and it says, and the Bible said he comes from the land. And any time the Bible references land, it typically references where? Jerusalem, Israel, right? And so we're thinking that maybe, you know, he's a prophet, he's a false prophet, right? Coming forth. And so we see the false prophet, we see the Antichrist commensurating together. In fact, the false prophet, what does he do? He points everybody to who? To the Antichrist on the world stage. He points everybody to the Antichrist. That's what he does. With signs and great wonders. Signs and wonders. People are going to be so deceived, right? Then the second thing we talked about last week was what has been communicated, right? So I talked about the opposite eschatology of Islam last week. And how, were you guys amazed by that? I was amazed by that. You know, as I was studying and researching it, I was like, wow, that's amazing, right? So the eschatology, which is the last days, the study of last things, that's what eschatology is, just a big fancy smancy word. I don't know, in West Virginia, we use those words in West Virginia? I don't know. But anyway, but, but it's the study of last things. And so uh, what's happened, that's what we've been doing since January. We're studying the future of what is to come, yet to come. And so when we look at this, we look at the Islam last week. And if you remember, right, the Bible's Antichrist is Islam's Savior. You remember that? The Bible's false prophet is Islam's Jesus Christ. And the Bible's returning Christ is Islam's Antichrist. Pretty amazing stuff, right? It is. And then finally, we all talked about, number three, what we all hope. And I quoted Revelation 13, 18 about the Antichrist. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. In fact, those who follow the Antichrist, listen, that's what he's talking about in Revelation 13, 8. But he says, but there will be those, listen, who will resist the Antichrist. He will resist the Antichrist. And listen, and their, listen, and their names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Just like all of us. If you know Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. And so I praise the Lord for that. But there's going to be many people during that tribulation period whose names will not be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And today we're going to begin with chapter 14 with some tribulation <coughs> announcements, right? And we're going to be talking about a great thing. And the great thing we're talking about is the 144,000 as we will see represented in chapter 14, they're a great group of evangelists. You, you say, people are not going to get saved in the tribulation? Oh, no, listen, there's going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation. And these 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to be going worldwide sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the entire world. And it's going to be such a revival. Listen, and they're, and they're going to have so much zeal and so much power. Listen, people's lives are going to be transformed. They're going to be the greatest group the world will ever know. Can you imagine 144,000 Billy Grahams? Think about that for a minute. I'm like, how many ever been to Billy Graham Crusade? All right. I know you're sharing your age with you, but that's okay. That's cool. I've been to one, too. I was a little fellow, though, playing on, on the uh, ballpark ground. I don't know where it was I, we were at. I was too young. Probably Pittsburgh or somewhere. 
But I remember going to one when I was a little fella. Amazing. The millions and millions and billions of people that he spoke the gospel to and the people's lives who were transformed. I remember watching one when he was in the Soviet Union. Remember that one? In the Soviet Union, he gives an altar call. Right? And, and see, Billy Graham doesn't just, he doesn't beg people to come. He tells them to come, right? He says, you come down here right now, right? You just get out of that seat, you come down here right now. That's what you need to do. You just, get, just let, just tell the people, excuse me, and you just come on down. We'll wait for you. And then he stands there. You know? I remember. I remember. And here's the thing in the Soviet Union, though. This is what was interesting about the Soviet Union. When he gave the invitation, you know what happened? People started running to the platform, running, charging the platform. And he had to stop, and he had to stop them. He said, whoa, whoa, stop, because they're going to trample each other. Seriously. He said there were so many people there, and they were so eager to be saved and so hungry to be saved that they were going to the altar, going to trample one another. They said they had, they had, they had, uh, they had people outside the, the place where they were meeting at. There were thousands of people that they could turn away, and they had a big monitor out there for them to watch. So, you know, I'm going to tell you, imagine 144,000 Billy Grahams in the world, brother. you think they just saved the whole planet. But there's going to be some obstinate, hard-hearted people. They're still not going to believe. So it's really amazing. 144,000 will come forth with a great... Battle-weary, but more than conquerors by Christ Jesus. They're going to be more than conquerors. They will survive Satan's wrath and God's judgments on this wicked, sinful world. Listen, nothing can touch these 144,000. Why? Because God has fixed a seal on all of them. Now, they won't be the only ones saved throughout the tribulation period. No, no, no. There will be many others saved, Jews and Gentiles alike. Myriads. In fact, the Bible said the Gentiles will be myriads of Gentiles saved during the tribulation period. You've got to remember... We're a world right now that has a population of 8 billion people. It's amazing. In 1930, we were 2 billion strong in the world. Let that sink in. 1930, there were 2 billion people in the world. 1930. Today, there's 8 billion people in the world. There's a lot of things that are going to transpire. There's a lot of things that are going to happen. There's a lot of people that are, we're just multiplying people just crazy. There's so many people in the world. There will be many saved. But many will also die very cruel deaths, martyrs' deaths. They will die deaths at the hands of their persecutors. Those persecutions unleashed by the Antichrist. But those who live through it will be saved and will enter the millennial kingdom. All 144,000 Jewish evangelists will survive. They will stand with Christ on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and they will triumph. In chapter 14, look at verse 1 of, of Revelation, if you're not there already. Chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. Look and behold, the, look and behold, signify in the scripture a very startling and dramatic event that has taken place here. But listen, you see what caught John's eye in his vision? 
What did, what, what did John's eye catch in his vision? Who did he see? Man, he saw Jesus standing, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, standing in all his glory, standing right there before him on Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, which is where he'll be, right there. Can you imagine that moment of John seeing Jesus standing there in his glory and how amazing that was for him? I bet he had to take a moment, you know what I mean? Just kind of pause and go, just take it in. Amazing. In Psalms chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, listen to this. Written many, a thousand years before. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Plus, the 144,000 had Jesus' name, and the name of the Lamb's Father was written on their foreheads. The unbelievers will receive what? A mark of the beast. Right? They're going to receive a mark of the beast, but the 144,000 will have God's mark on them. And it's for their protection. Revelation 7, 3. Satan will be real. He'll, Satan will be real quick to try and kill all these 144,000. They will enter the kingdom, but God will not permit them, listen, to be harmed. Amen. Not at all. They will come into the kingdom as living men. While the redeemed people will enter the kingdom, many of the children born to them will not at all believe. They have not all of them will believe. These people will have enough unregenerate people by the end of the millennium. That Satan will lead his army in a worldwide rebellion against Christ Jesus' rule on earth. So there will be salvations taking place during this millennium too. In Zechariah 8.23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is a salvation the 144,000 will no doubt proclaim everywhere they go. Amen? It'll be awesome. Look at verse 2 of Revelation 14. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of a loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. This is a song of redemption, folks. It's a song of redemption will be sung by the 144,000 in heaven. They will have endured all the sorrow to sing praises to the king. That's what they're going to do. They will joyously praise the Lord for his protection and for, his, for the triumph that they endure, right? And not the first time John heard a voice from heaven either. It's not going to be the last one either. Like a continuous loud thunder is the voice of God. In Ezekiel 43, 2, he says, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like that of the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. His voice also had musical quality, like harps. His voice expressed joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Heaven will resound with loud praise when Jesus returns. Amen? Amen. This new song is a song of redemption. All of heaven will be rejoicing, overflowing, because Christ's redemptive work in the world with the return of Christ is accomplished. When that happens, man, it's on. No one can learn to sing this song except 144,000. They have been purchased from the earth. Why? The song has been restricted to the 144,000. It has not been sung. Not until now. However, it's clear the focus is upon the praise of Jesus for his redemptive work. That's what it's for. In verse 4, he said, These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they had kept themselves chaste. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Listen, the worship of the Antichrist will be vile and perverse. In the midst of this darkness, the 144,000 will shine like never before. They will not be defiled with women, but will keep themselves pure. My definition for purity is living according to original design. Think about that for a minute. Before Adam and Eve sinned, were they not pure? You want to be pure? We all need to learn to live like the original designer had designed us to live. Amen? We can walk. And listen, sin is always a choice. Doesn't mean we won't sin. We're in the flesh, we will sin. But it is a choice. And you don't have to choose to sin. Amen? However, it's a clear and focuses upon the praise of Jesus, redemptive work. The worship of Antichrist will be vile, and I just read all that. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. The 144,000 will be completely loyal to Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. This is the kind of followers that Jesus seeks in all of us. When I look at this, I got thinking about all of us. How can we live in a way to where we're almost like Billy Graham, you know? We, we need to be there. Listen, I think this is really a good example for us. Listen, we're not in the tribulation. We're not going through all the garbage that these 144,000 are going to be experiencing. We live really in a place of comfort and rest, don't we? Do we not? We may think we have it bad. But when you start thinking about all the stuff we've been talking about since January, about the tribulation, we've got it pretty good, don't you think? You know? And I think... I think I think of all people, I think we have, it's a warning for us to not be complacent about who Jesus is in our life and making Jesus famous to the world. That's right. We need to really speak up and be bold and courageous as lions. We need to be out there sharing the love of Christ. We need to be sharing why we do what we do, why we come into this building and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, why we, why we pass out 1,400 tracts at the trunk or tree. Why? we got to just share individually, personally, right? Intimately with those about who Jesus is. Amen. And I think, that's, I think that's really a real, I mean, if anything that Revelation should do, it should spur us, like I said last week, in our guts to make sure that everybody has at least heard the gospel from our lips that we come in contact with. And so I just want you to really just consider, just think about that. In Matthew 16, 24, 
Listen, Jesus said this. this. Discipleship is very costly. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, what must he do? He's got to deny himself, what? take up his cross and do what? And follow Jesus. So John explains that the 144,000 had been purchased from among men. These were purchased for a special purpose, though. The Old Testament talks of the first fruits that were offered to God to be used in his service in Deuteronomy 18. These guys will be set apart for divine service. The purpose of their lives will be to serve the Lord by proclaiming the gospel to the lost. They will not propagate Satan's lies, but will speak God's eternal, everlasting truths. That's what they're going to do. In all generations, listen, triumphant Christians are characterized by speaking the truth in love. Amen? In love. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. We must accurately handle the truth of God's Word in all of our daily lives. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Right? Approved to God. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the Word of truth. In Revelation 14, verse 5, listen to this. And no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. They are blameless. These 144,000 will leave their lives characterized by purity. They will be blameless. They won't be sinless, but they will be above reproach. They will lead godly lives before all who see them. Can we say that about all of us? Do we lead godly lives that when people look at us, they think of Jesus first? Something. So the 144,000, what a blessing this is going to be. And I'm grateful to God for having them to go around the world and preach the gospel. Amen. But God is rich in his mercy and grace. He doesn't even stop there. Man, he has three angels that he, he dispatches out. These three angels do not appear like in a sequential order or anything, but they address activities that stress across the tribulation period. They deal with the seven trumpet judgments, which include those final judgments at the end of the tribulation. These angels do not appear to be in order, but listen, of these events, their messages are designed to scare people into saving faith in Christ. I believe if I saw an angel, it would probably scare me a little bit, wouldn't you? Our God is a gracious and merciful God. He offers sinners countless opportunities to repent and be saved before he unleashes the terrifying bold judgments that have yet to come that we have studied about in chapter 16. The first angel preaches the gospel. The second one pronounces judgment. And the third promises damnation. In Revelation 14, 6, listen. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of the waters. John doesn't reveal this specific angel here. Angels we know appear in every chapter from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 12. The nearest reference is to Michael and his angels, chapter 12, verse 7. In any case, another of the countless myriads of angels is selected for a very special purpose here. 
The one is flying in mid-heaven. This is where the sun reaches its pinnacle. At high noon, right? And he's up there so everybody can see him. And the Antichrist can't mess with him. And he's up there for a reason. He's sharing the gospel. This preaching angel's ministry would be unhindered and unreachable because of his position. The angel, as he flies, presents the gospel message. Glorious, our scripture describes the gospel in various terms, each looking from a different viewpoint. You realize that? It comes from different viewpoints. And listen, it's described in various terms, right? It's multifaceted. It's like a jewel. You have a jewel with many jewels or, or a piece of jewelry with many jewels on it. This is beautiful. This is how the gospel is. There's a gospel of the kingdom. Did you know that? There's a gospel of the kingdom. It's the preaching of Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming by John the Baptist. In Matthew 4, 23, listen to this. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. That's amazing. Then there's also the gospel of God. The kingdom is so close, right? It's so close it demands an immediate response from us. An immediate response in Mark 1, 14. Now after John had been taken into custody, John the Baptist, Jesus came into the Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Then there's the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. The telling of the good news of God's grace. Amen? Aren't you grateful for the grace of God? Amen. Amen. Yes. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Apostle Paul says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Excuse me, I got ahead of myself. Acts 20, 24. But I do not consider myself, this is Luke writing, by the way, but I do not consider my, my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's cool. And then, of course, the gospel of the glory of Christ seeing the light of the truth of who Christ is. It's like John seeing him on Mount Zion. Shine. There he is. Think about this. The gospel of the glory of Christ, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, they might see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then there's a gospel of salvation. Promised life in his immediate presence. Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so we go back to our passage in, in verse 6 of Revelation 14. The gospel is described as what? Eternal. You see that? It's described as eternal. Why? Because it provides the means to eternal life. The only means to eternal life. The angel's message is addressed to those who live on earth, referring to all the unbelievers as it's flying around, right? 
Every nation and tribe and tongue and people stresses a worldwide nature of the angel's proclamation. This angel will call out people from the four corners of the earth to be saved. It's urgent. It's urgent. It's urgent. They need to hear it. They need to be saved. And the message is fear God and give him glory. That's the message. Fear God and give him glory. The people are called to change their allegiance from, uh, to the Lamb of God from who? From the Antichrist, from, from the one who takes, listen, to the one who takes the sin of the world away. To get him off the Antichrist. It's immediate because the hour of judgment has come. The first occupancy of the word judgment in Revelation is here. Up to this point, the word wrath had been used. But now it's judgment. God's righteous judgments are the outpouring of his wrath against what? The stubborn and unrepentant world. You would think by now these stubborn people would get it, right? You would think that they would. Would change their minds after experiencing the seal judgments and the trumpet drum judgments. Horrible. Yet they refuse to repent and be saved. And still God's grace and mercy flies in their face. God's grace and mercy flies in their face. This angel gives one final reason for sinners to turn from the Antichrist to God. Proclaiming that worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and springs of water. Just look around you. Listen, this created universe both offers proof of God's existence and provides the ground for worshiping him. Amen? It does. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Listen to what Psalm 19 says. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expense, listen, is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterance is to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. Isn't that beautiful? And then I thought about Romans chapter 1. Verses 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. We all know. All, I don't care. A lost person knows. A lost person knows. They do. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are all without excuse. We're all without excuse. Listen, folks, this angel hasn't even begun to fly yet. Do you know Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life? I pray that you do. Sometimes we don't, we don't want to listen to reason. It's like we just don't see it. Sometimes as I look at people, sometimes even my own family members, there's these scales on their eyeballs. <laughs> and it's like, why can't you just see what God has done? Why can't you just humble yourself before a holy God who gave you everything that you have? Gave you life, gave you breath, gave you heartbeat, <laughs> hair in your chest, right? Lungs in your lungs, air in your lungs and heartbeat in your chest and yes. you're walking upright and it's a good day and it's all because of God. 
You know, without Jesus, we wouldn't be living. Without Jesus, we would all be dead. And here we are with a bunch of spiritually dead people that walk around like zombies all over the world. And sometimes they'll come right into this house right here. This is, they'll come into this house and they'll sit right here and they're lost as a goose. And, and the gospel will go forth and you'll preach it, and you'll preach it, and you'll preach it, and they just don't hear it. Listen, folks, this is when we got to knuckle down and really pray. We got to pray for them. You got to pray for your family members. You got to pray for your friends. You got to pray for those who are lost. You got to pray for your wives who might be lost. You got to pray for your husbands who might be lost. You got to pray like you've never prayed before. And ask God to penetrate that hard heart. Ask God to lift those scales off their eyes. Because Satan puts them there. And Satan is not more powerful than the God that I serve. Amen. How about you? God wants you to listen to praise and share that good news with them. And listen, and never give up on them. Don't say, oh, they're not listening. I just want to give up on them. No. Continue sending the word of God to them. It's the word of God. Faith in the word of God. Faith goes by hearing the word of God. Put the word of God before them. They may read it. They may not. But there'll come a point in their life when they get down and it's, it's hard times and they don't know where to turn. But they can remember that you sent them a devotional. You sent them something that has the word of God that would cause them to open up and say, I see. I was blind, but now I see. Don't ever give up. I'm going to close. I had a woman, and her name was uh, Pat Melvin was her name. I'll never forget her. She had a husband who was lost. He was really lost. You hear me? And he was in about 70 years old. She'd been married to him for like 50 years, 55 years, something like that. And I'll forget, I was still in the service, and I was attending church up in Fayetteville. And one of the deacons asked me if I'd go on visitation with him. So I said, I said, sure, I'll go on visitation with you. That's back when we had visitation, you know, and you go house to house and visit people. It was a Thursday, so I, I met him at the church. We were in the car, and I'll never forget, we were in the car. And uh, before we left, I said, I told the deacon, I said, hey, do you mind if we pray before we leave? Before we get over there. He said, no, man, let's do it. Let's pray. Let's pray. So he and I just grabbed each other's hand. You know, guys in the car, we didn't know where to see it. Anyway, we were holding each other's hand. We were praying, right? Humble as could be, we are praying sincerely for our visit to visit Pat Melvin's husband, right? So then we go over there. We go in the house. We sit down. He's on oxygen. He's sitting in his chair. She's sitting over there. She came out and met us. She was so thankful we were there. We came in and... Uh, and, uh, and when, when she came out, she told me this. She says, she says, uh, she says brother, she says, I just want you to know, I appreciate you guys coming. She says, I've tried everything I could possibly do uh, to get my husband saved. I shared and shared and shared and shared, but I haven't given up. I keep praying every day. I keep praying. I said, well, it's all right. Maybe today's the day. We don't know. So we went inside. We sat down with him. We started talking to him. And guess what happened? The next thing I know, the next thing I know is that he wants to get saved. Amen. And so we're sitting there going, I mean, I looked at my friend, he looked at me, we're like, yes! God is with us, it worked, right? And so we share the gospel with him. And so he gets saved in that chair right there. And it's really amazing to see him get saved, right? So he's saved, and then I, and then I started, I was, you know, I was still in New York, I'd come by, I picked up a Bible, I brought it to him, I was sharing some things with him. 
uh, for about another month, you know, and he had gotten better. He got off the auction. He got better. Uh, she was so grateful. She said, oh, I've been praying for years and years and years that he would get saved. And I'm just so grateful for his salvation. And, uh, and, and a month later, and he loved, he had a hobby of flying remote control airplanes, you know. And it says that he was out there flying. He was happy as could be, flying his remote control airplane. All of a sudden, he said, he just dropped dead right there. I said, oh, no. So I went to the wake, went to the funeral. I walked in, Pat, run to the door. She met me. She goes, Brother Phil, Brother Phil. And she was beaming from ear to ear. From ear to ear, she says, oh, I'm so happy that he got saved. I was like, who does that, you know? How awesome is that? I'm telling you, but here's the thing. She never gave up. All her life, she kept praying and kept praying and kept praying. And some of you may have done that. Maybe some of you are doing that right now. Keep praying. Keep praying for your spouse. Keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your family members. Keep praying. I believe God answers every single prayer. Why would he not? I believe he answers every single prayer. It's not maybe the way we think it's going to be answered, right? It's not going to be like we think it ought to be. But God will answer every prayer. I'm grateful for my salvation. And I was a horrible sinner. I didn't even have it all right when I got saved. And I'm grateful for God. We serve a God of second, third, fourth chances. He came into my life and rescued me. And I pray that he rescues you and your family members and your friends. But he can't rescue them unless you tell them about Jesus. That's right, brother. That's the only way. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you. Lord Jesus, for our time here this morning. We're thankful for your precious word. We're thankful for the, for the example of the 144,000 Billy Graham's I call them. Lord, as they go worldwide and preach the gospel in the tribulation period to see people saved all over the world. Lord, we have an opportunity every single day to share the love of Jesus with somebody. And it's my prayer, God, that we would become serious with our faith in Jesus enough to tell <coughs> Tell our family members and friends that are lost, who would die and split hell wide open, that we would tell them about Jesus. And that we would never give up. We would never give up praying. We would never give up sharing your story through our story of our life. Help us to do that, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never trusted you as Savior, that Jesus, you shed your blood on the cross to forgive us of all our sins. And Lord, you did that too, Dad. You took all of our cross, all of our sins, 2,000 years ago in your body. And we can look back. All we got to do is have faith to accept the grace of God, that free gift that none of us deserve. And ask you, God, just to save us. Wash our sin away. Come into our life. Come into our hearts. Lord, somebody out here maybe needs you this morning. I pray that we ask you to come into their heart right now. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord, I need a Savior. I didn't think I could be forgiven of what I've done. But Lord, I know that you have forgiven even me.
and you take my sin and cast it into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore by the Lord. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for how you touch a heart, mind, and soul. Use us this day and every day for your glory. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And I thank you for saving all of us that are out here today that are saved. And Father, we give you praise and we give you glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name. And all God's children said what? Amen. Now listen, if you receive Christ as your Savior, listen, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Denise and I are going to stand out in the foyer. And as you come out, if you want to share, if you made a decision for Jesus Christ, I want you to share that with me out there so we can lead you in what to do next. Amen. I love you guys. I thank y'all for yesterday. What an awesome day. Amen. And I look forward to seeing y'all next week. See Bible study tonight, 6 p.m. Amen. Oh, you're going to play it? Go ahead, play it, play it. Let this be a testimony for you. Listen.